0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lion's Guide podcast, where we empower you to be a lifelong leader by exploring the success stories of our guests and the lessons they've learned. I interview other subject matter experts and also review books and other resources. And all this is really designed to bring you insights and perspective to help you establish clarity, have courage, and lead the way. I'm your host, Dale Walls. I'm the founder of Lion's Guide. And on this episode, we've got Mrs. Chris Bachman. And Chris is a A badass lady, high performer. You know, she's an active wife and mother of three. She's also a four-time Boston Marathon qualifier. Uh, She's won first place in in marathons. Uh, She led a crew in the race across America. She's completed the uh, SEAL swim across the Hudson, which we talk about it on the episode but that's an awesome challenge to accomplish in itself um now i was pretty blown away by you know that whole deal there so that's a fun thing to to listen in on and uh she's also a running coach so in this episode we're going to explore chris's story and journey through her numerous accomplishments and how yet still she leads a high performance lifestyle and is also a successful mother and wife. It's a great, great chat and you're going to love it. So um, before we jump into it, if you like the sound of that, hit that subscribe button. If you're not already subscribed, hopefully you are. And uh, that way you don't miss any of the other good stuff we've got coming at you. And uh, speaking of good stuff out there on lionsguide.com, we've got a ton of other stuff for you too. So if you've been getting value out of these conversations, um, insights, perspectives, and so on, we have all of our podcast episodes on the free members area called The Pride. Uh, you can get to it at the Guide.com, but that's not it. Not all, you know, the uh, podcast episodes that are out there. As um, soon as we record them, we have them out there. So it's actually, you know, the unreleased uh, podcast as well. And also we have other you know, all of our replays of trainings, virtual live events, Uh, we've got reading lists out there, uh, all kinds of cool stuff. So go check it out. Um, You know, tons of resources out there for you to really help you break through that next best level of yourself and uh, deal with, all the demands that you got on you as a, as a leader leading your life. So um, get out there and check it out. It's on lionsguide.com. Uh, you'll see it. It says join the pride and uh, yeah, check out all the resources and chime in on the community groups that we have out there in the socials as well. Find us, follow us, comment, looking forward to hearing from you. And uh, all of that is to help you establish clarity, build your courage and be the true leader of your life. So check it out now, go to lionsguide.com. Enjoying today. With that all said, let's start the show.
1: All
0: right, guys, today on the podcast, we have Chris Bachman, who was introduced to me by uh, Jeff Harris, who's been a previous guest on a podcast, also came on and I think did the first or one of the first Lions Guide lectures, but I'm excited to have Chris on a podcast today um, really to talk about being a woman high performer uh, and represent the the high performance ladies community. I think the closest I've had to that, um, I, I've had great ladies on, um, you know, and, and one of which was my wife, who we talked about the 4x4x48 challenge, but I know men don't have this market cornered, you know, as, despite what YouTube and the rest of the Internet might Lead you to believe. So excited to get Chris on here to talk about leave, leading a high performance lifestyle. And Chris, welcome to the show. Tell us a little about who you are and what you do.
1: Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on today. I feel honored to be called a, a high performer, but um, it is definitely a lifestyle that I lead. Um, I grew up in uh, suburbs of of in Wisconsin. I was a total tomboy. Loved fishing with my dad. I loved going up with him to sighting guns. Um, I got into sports just because I was playing football with the boys and really decided I was going to get into softball and basketball because those are the sports that my dad played. So, you know, it was just us playing playing hoops after dinner or throwing a ball around. I was, I was pretty much the son that he never had. (laughs) And uh and uh, then decided to uh, pursue running uh, in my senior year of high school, which proved to be my, my best sport of all, uh, just as a cross-country athlete, and then also a distance runner uh, for our track team. Um, I did get asked to run uh, for a D3 school, and I turned, I turned it down. Uh, I, was, I was nervous being such a new runner, new to the sport, that um, I wouldn't be able to live up to their expectations. Um I was also going into a very competitive um market or not market but into a competitive program for the physician physician assistant program and I needed to have a 4.0 pretty much to get in. And so I was nervous that I wouldn't be able to keep up with the demands of the athletics as well as my academics. Um you know I was one of those kids that was was kind of good at at everything. Um definitely always wanted to be better or the best if I could be. Uh, I definitely had to work at everything, though. It did not come easy to me. Um, but I didn't mind the work. And uh, I didn't realize that character that I had uh, until much later in life. And it, it has definitely been a, a great quality to have. Um, sometimes works against me in some ways, but um, but it's definitely got got me to where I am today. Uh, I went on to pursue a nursing career. Then I switched majors and uh, at, from the UW uh, from the University of Wisconsin Milwaukee, and started a career in the neurosurgical intensive care. And um, you know, <laughs> when all of my friends were deciding that they wanted to go into OB or pediatrics, I was like, I'm going into neuro ICU, and they looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> Were um, you but moving not,
0: around for all this? Like, did you go um, away for school or, or anything like that? No, it
1: was all very local. Mm-hmm. I, I have not left. <laughs> um, And there was a local hospital that I had an internship with. Uh, they paid for part of my tuition. So it all just kind of fell into place very, very early on. Um, I got great mentorship while I was there as an intern. Um, I got my foot in the door right away. So it just kind of catapulted my career in nursing right away. Um, Neuro ICU, as you can imagine, is is intense. And I loved every second of it. I still miss it to this day. Um, it's chaos. Uh, but it definitely takes a team effort um, to care for these people that are often have just had brain surgery, um, that have had life debilitating strokes. I mean, you're, you're, also dealing with a lot of families that are in crisis mode. Um, So I learned a lot very early on about dealing with people and being as compassionate as possible, but still kind of hyper-focused on what the the task was at hand. Um, From there, I uh, left that job briefly to go um, uh, pursue a career with the Wisconsin Donor Network. and that career was um the most challenging career i think i i ever could have imagined um my job was uh, to basically go to a hospital where someone had a major injury that uh, potentially would was going to end their life. Um, they were thinking that maybe that person would be considered what's called uh, brain dead. And we would have the, the difficult conversation with them about um, if their family member wished to donate their organs. And there's a lot of misconception about what that means and what the process entails and so uh, we were doing a lot of education at the time Um, and then once you know if they consented then it was the the time clock started and we were under very strict time guidelines to to place all of these organs Um, every organ has a different time period Um, that needs to be placed. And so we were literally making phone calls, going down a list from the most urgent um, and telling them like, hey, I have, you know, for example, a um, male, he's 24 years old, he's 6'2", he's 180 pounds, this is his blood type. And uh, he's, you know, a very healthy individual, no high risk behaviors, are you interested? And they would say yes or no, depending on their uh, recipient that they had in mind.
0: Um, and so your job was to basically inventory what quality organs you could get out to folks in need, basically.
1: Yeah. So it was doing the workup that was needed for every organ to see if it was suitable for transplant. Um, you know, someone was in a car accident per se, like maybe they, um, had a liver laceration, so their liver, you know, may not be suitable for that candidate or something. So we would do all the work needed Um, for suitability and and any additional testing to make sure that that organ is, you know, if making sure like the person, the the donor didn't have HIV, didn't have hepatitis, all of these other blood tests required. Um, We wanted to make sure that, you know, there was some, not some high-risk behavior that maybe no one knew about, you know, so we were doing very thorough body assessments. Um, There was a lot that went when it or was involved in this process, and then, you know, working also with the staff because, you know, we're coming into their work environment and kind of taking over. And so you had to develop a very quick rapport with everyone because not everyone has the same view about organ donation that we did. We understood the good that we were doing, but, but even healthcare professionals didn't understand what we were trying to accomplish, um, you know, we got called all kinds of names. Um, you know, the the vultures were coming in. I mean, it was it was like, okay, really. <laughs> was um, that a
0: bit of a conflict from like a lost soul, you know, so to speak, and their desire to get on to the next person in need? So did they not want to get kind of consumed in this part of what you were asking? Or like what was the conflict, I guess. With those guys. Yeah,
1: I, I think it was more of a just a misunderstanding of what we were trying to accomplish. Like we're not, I mean, we were following very strict guidelines that are set, you know. Um, we're not some black market organization that's just poaching organs. Like it, it's it was nothing like that. But it was, you know, it was the ignorance on the other time. They didn't take the time to learn about what we were trying to accomplish. And if they knew That, you know, maybe this heart was going to a mother that had developed some kind of viral infection that destroyed her heart and gave her myocarditis. Like those are the people that we're doing this for. And so it was just, you know, not only educating families, but educating the staff of what we were trying to accomplish. And also we are just trying to fulfill someone's last wish. So if we look at their driver's license and it's they check the box that they wanted to be an organ donor, well, we want to fulfill that wish for them. And so, um, you know, it's and some people just have the idea like this is I'm dead. I don't need these organs. So why not pass them on to and help, you know, potentially seven to eight other people continue to live on in their life and give them a second chance at life. And that's how I looked at it, you know, and and I know that there's some people that will never agree with me. And that's okay. Like I, I understand and appreciate the difference in opinion. But this was my job. And I did it to the best of my abilities. Now, it was very high stress. Like I said, I would work sometimes 24-hour shifts straight. I would travel to different hospitals across the state. Um, And so um, it just got to be very wearing. Um, It was dealing with death every single day. Um, So that got to be very depressing. I think I you know, it was probably at one of the the lowest points in my life. Um, during that time, I, I didn't know how to deal with a lot of the situations that I saw on a daily basis. I mean, it was, you know, PTS every day, like just seeing car accidents, seeing these, these horrific situations and not knowing how to cope with them. And you just go on and do it again the next day. Um, and so, um, so that was hard, and and I, you know, ended up going back to the neuro intensive care unit after after that for, you know, just what I think my true love originally was, and then, um, and then from there I started. Uh, I went back and got my master's in nursing and became a nurse practitioner, and then started uh, started having a family, and uh, that kind of changed everything. Um, my middle son was born uh, a few few weeks. Uh, premature, and so he was in the NICU for about ten days, and uh, that was rather challenging. Knowing everything that I already knew about um, intensive care, I knew too much almost. Um, so seeing seeing your 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 child there is is so difficult. Um, but I made the decision. My husband and I made the decision that you know I could stay home with them and and just raise them the way that we want them to be raised. And so I was, I was willing to give up my career to do that for them because it, it, it was important to me to, 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 to do that.
0: And we talked a little bit about that in, in the, the pre-show a little bit we tried not to have the show before the show, but we got into it a little bit like, which is, you know, what I, what I was excited about having you on before having you on is because, you know, just that, right. Like I, you know, like my passion is in, in high performance in, and that's holistic, right? Like it's not just Mm -hmm. athletics, but it's nutrition mindset, you know, well, like just, it's all of the above. Right. And, and what I'm passionate about is those folks that are in high demand roles and, The truth of the matter is i totally get it i've I've seen my wife of 22 years we've been together since high school you know just managing our household of three kids and sports and trying to keep me straight and 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 and, and all the things that we have going on um that's a it's a hard job you know i I think that that stigma of oh she doesn't have to work she just gets she just gets to stay home and take care of the kids like that's Man, like if, if you're anybody that's had kids and had to stay home and <laughs> manage them for a day, yeah. you know it's it's not that, man. It's it's a lot of work. Um, so so I I totally appreciate that, you know. And I feel like but like we were saying, like I was excited about just talking to you from that high performance mindset because I think you've got to have that high performance mindset to again, just like any other highly demanding role, like you gotta be have that mindset of a high performer to be able to honorably, you know, deal with those challenges and live up to the expectations and meet the demand. So I'll let you run with that one for a bit.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. Um, It is, you know, it's a thankless job at times. And I, I, you know, I'm kind of the manager of chaos as I like to say, Um, you know, I ended up having um, one, one more child after my, my middle child was born. So three total in six years. And (laughs) it's, it's crazy, but I, you know, honestly, I wouldn't have it any other way. I love that they're close together in age. Um, You know, my husband is also an entrepreneur. So being, you know, we decided that we both couldn't have two very, very high stressful jobs and not knowing when each person would be able to come home at night was very stressful for me. Like, it, it just doesn't seem fair to our kids. And I understand that. Not everyone you know can do what i did and i i'm very, very grateful for that um but it's it's hard work <laughs> it is It is the hardest job that i've ever had it 's the one that i I definitely um, you know feel like I fail at <laughs> all the time but i'm I'm willing to learn from those mistakes i mean those children mean the world to me, and I just want to give them you know they're my number one every single day and i and I try my best to to provide for them you know the best that i can
0: what uh so what's the ages of your kids uh 10 8 and 6. Oh, right on school so yeah we're, we're there we're 13 9 and 7 so kind of in the same same boat plan zone you know with the kids you know there i got to dig this report up but there was a report i i fa- fell across in the the rabbit hole of the internet years ago that said like the stress factor of the number of kids in the house, there was like a mm-hmm. bell curve to it. And three was like the most stressful amount to have in the house. And right. and there were some, there were some reasons for it, but it, but ultimately like if you've got two, right. It's just man on man. Yes. If you have four, like they kind of partner up and they entertain each other. But if it's three, like, you know, no <laughs> one's satisfied. It, it was, it was an interesting read. Um, so, originally uh, my wife just wanted to have two and mm-hmm. I was like I want to have four I had no reason I, and obviously I'm, <laughs> not, I'm not having the baby so easy for me to say right but um <laughs> so we I had uh, submitted to only having two and then um, you know like clockwork once my daughters or minor child turned one you know Jody was kind of like oh, I think I could do one more and Like, well, we can't just stop at one more. We got to go for the full four, right? And then I start citing this article again. I was like, we can't, we can't stop at three. (laughs) But, uh, but we stopped at three. And boy, you know, we are, we are in it. We got a circus, man. You know,
1: I know it's, you know, I think when they go off to school in the morning, like I come in, you know, I walk them to the bus and I come back in and I like, it's a big sigh of like, I made it. (laughs) like I did it. (laughs) Yeah. And it's the same thing at night when they all go to bed. It's like, Oh, we just, we got through this one. Um, You know, they definitely have some of my qualities, good and bad, Uh, very high energy kids, which I, I, I love. And, you know, I, I'm definitely not a helicopter parent. I want my kids to explore. I want them to make mistakes. I want them to learn from their mistakes. I want them to be independent. I want them to, you know, make good decisions, but be faced with decisions, you know, not just having their parents do that all the time. Um, so that's, it's hard sometimes. It's hard to, to watch them fail. What do you think influences
0: mistakes? you there? Like what, what, what makes you not want to be the helicopter mom?
1: Um, this is going to sound terrible, but I'm trying to be kind of like the exact opposite of how I was raised. <laughs> <laughs> my my mom, and I love her dearly, but she's a very anxious person. She was always um, hovering, always telling us like, don't cross the street. You're going to get hit by a car. Don't go down the street. You're going to get abducted. <laughs> I mean, all of the fears, right? And I was like, if you tell me not to do something, I'm going to kind of do the, you know, I'm going to do the exact opposite. Um, so I, I guess I just come from that spot that I I never liked being hovered over. And I never liked someone always telling me, no, if you told me, no, I was going to do the opposite. I wanted to do and see the world explore. I wanted to do it all. Um, and so I want to give that to my, my children too, because I think this world is, it's too wonderful of a place, and there's so much to see and so much to learn, and I don't want to hold them back from from experiencing that.
0: Yeah, there's a really uh, good book. Um, uh, the uh, it's called "The Calling of the American Mind." Have you ever heard of that book? Mm-hmm. No, I haven't. Um, it, it talks a lot about that in like how we've evolved since the eight, since the early eighties, um, mm-hmm. really when um, what was it, John Walsh? Uh, the guy that had that show, um, America's Most Wanted, it, when his son, his he he got yeah. famous because his son was abducted or whatever. Um, yeah. And that was a that was a pivot point to that fear factor of how yes. American parents raised their kids because then all of a sudden it was so mainstream that the kids were going to get abducted if they were playing in the neighborhood. And and it's an yeah. interesting book about how that was a little bit of the starting point to this. You know, really helicopter parenting, like overcautious uh, and yeah. really, really coddling to a very low statistical probability of something sure. happening. Um, and then that ultimately leads to kids just, you know, and it's a really good book because it gets into like what we're seeing a lot of today as these kids become adults and like have, you know, 20 year old temper tantrums because they're not getting their way on campus or in policy or whatever. Um it's it's interesting it's 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 a neat read to kind of at least for me it was always like why man why are these kids acting like this and it tells you exactly why they're acting like this and it's got a lot to do with them just not learning how to uh, uh, tolerate difficulties at younger ages and then when they get older they have to contend with difficulties as an adult but they're just not they haven't been conditioned to it because their parents protected them from everything you know
1: right right that's fascinating
0: Yeah. I mean, you think about it like parents today, it seems not all of them, but, you know, uh, I've got folks in the family that are teachers and stuff and they're like, man, I've got parents calling, cussing me out because their kid came home with a B on the test. And it's like, well, what are you, what are you talking to me about? Like, you know, aren't you talking to your kid? Like, you know, they're the one that got the B, you know, Um, you know, it's, it's everyone else's fault except for the kids and, you know, the kids. I feel like I have the complete
1: opposite like mindset when it comes to that. Like when you know, there's a conflict between a teacher and and you know one of my children. I'm like, I always go to my child first, like, well, what did you do? Like, I I don't believe it's it's the teacher's fault. Um, but I also, you know, with my time, I volunteer at the school. I want the school to know who I am. They they know who I am. You know, I'm I'm never gonna tell them how to do their job, but I'm gonna be in the lunchroom, I'm gonna be on the playground. You know, I I know their teachers by first name. I have their phone numbers. Um, They contact me if there's a problem and we settle it that way. And that's I love it that way. I mean, it's a small school, but, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah,
0: I mean, and that's the thing, right? Like you used that word earlier, like rapport. I think it's important to build rapport and all those types of relationships so that you can have the necessary communication to progress through issues, right? Like when there's an issue with the child and their grades or behavior or whatever, like you want to be able to have that like two-way open conversation with the, you know, between two adults, right? Like that are, you know, for that school year or whatever, like somewhat like emotionally invested in mutual success, right? Like you got to know, like the teacher's dealing with a tough job, you know, and she's got to want to see your kids succeed. Um, so it's good that that's also like have rapport to just kind of be involved and, you know, hopefully find the win-win, you know?
1: Yeah, it is. It's definitely a win. And, you know, I have a very high energy 10 year old boy. He, he likes to, to get in trouble, but his, his teacher has been amazing though, just to know how to handle him appropriately. I do have to remind him though. I'm like, you know, when you act up in class, you're taking her time and attention away from all the rest of your classmates and you always have to remember that you know and you just got to put it in perspective that way sometimes for them I think um and then they might turn it might flip a little switch um it seems to work for us right now yeah so you know
0: amongst all this you've done some cool stuff like athletically, like and you mentioned, like running in high school, have you always been kind of of this high performance mindset? Or did you kind of hit different transitions points that kind of?
1: Um, I was always, you know, I continued running through college just for fun, you know, just because I loved doing it, um, but never considered myself a high performer. Um, Like I said, I was always just an athlete. Um, I ran a lot of half marathons that seemed to be a good distance that I could balance, you know, having small children and still doing that amount of training. Um, I ran actually my first marathon um, before I had kids and um, swore I would never do it again. I I hated it. I You know, I hit the wall at mile 20, just like everyone tells you you're going to do that you think isn't going to happen to you. And then it does, and you're like, you know, cussing the the six miles to the finish line. Um, and I'm like, I'm never going to do that again, ever. Like that was horrible. And what then made I, you do I, it in the first place. Um, I think I had friends that were were really involved in the Ironman community, and so I'm like, well, you know, they kind of pressured me into it. I'm like, okay. I think they saw. I think they maybe even signed me up for it before I even knew. I'm like, well, I can do it. I'm an athlete. Like I can. I can run a marathon. And I, I, you know, I followed one of those online programs, and and you know, kind of, you know, did speed work, and kind of did, you know, I, I just, you know, half-assed everything. Not really. I mean, I did it, but I didn't understand what training really meant. And I thought I could just get by with my athletic ability, you know. And and then I realized very quickly. And and the other thing that was kind of crazy about this is that I thought that my, you know, athletic ability would would get me to Boston. Like that was always the goal from a very early age. And I don't know where that even came from. But I always wanted to run the Boston Marathon. And I'm like, I, I can do this. And then when I didn't qualify, I was like, well, this is going to be really hard. Like, So I think that always just sat in the back of my my brain that like maybe one day we'll get back to there. Maybe, maybe when I'm 40, I'll, I'll, I'll run a marathon again, and maybe it'll be easier (laughs) then. I don't know. So I took, took time off of doing marathons, did half marathons, and then set a goal for myself. I wanted to break 130, And when I did that, I'm like, okay, time to move on to the next goal. And I'm like, well, maybe it's time to revisit the marathon again. And, uh, at this time, my, 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 my youngest was getting to be not so dependent on me. I'm like, I think I can invest in training again. And so um, I got a better plan this time and decided I was going to follow it more strictly and ended up qualifying for Boston uh, twice that year. So my, my spring marathon and my fall marathon got me uh, qualification times and um, I ended up running Boston in the spring and was injured and I didn't want to admit to anyone that I was, I was injured because you injured I injured
0: yourself during the run or in training,
1: I, I injured myself uh, in training prior. And I think I was just kind of in denial. Um, I was also at the time fundraising for a friend who um, had started a nonprofit to help her her son who had died from pediatric cancer. And so I was fundra- fundraising for for that nonprofit. And I felt like I was going to let her down if I didn't continue on. And if I didn't do the race, um, at the time I was, you know, um, posting all my training on social media. So I felt like I had all of these eyes on me. I'm like, I have to do this. I can't say no. Um, and so I did the race and it was, a, it was a suffer fest. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Uh, it was very painful. Um, was it
0: the right decision yeah. to still run it in hindsight or?
1: Uh, oh, no, no, I shouldn't have run it at all because it turns out um, and I didn't find this out until months and months later that I had a stress fracture in my sacrum, in my back. Um, and and after the race and, and during that summer, I had gone to every specialist you could think of. I went to chiropractors. I went to PT. I went to sports medicine therapists like no one could tell me what was wrong and why I was still having pain and why I couldn't run for long distances and I would get better and then I would get worse again. And then I was in this like cycle and then finally had an MRI that confirmed, you know, kind of the worst, but also was, was a relief in a way that I finally knew what was wrong. And so it was like a stopping point where it's like, now I can, I can start over again. And I just needed that stopping point. I need someone to say like, this is, there's definitely something wrong with you and you need to take time off. And so, um, I took the time off. It was the f- longest 14 weeks of my life. Um, and why, just cause you my, weren't running
0: or like, why? yeah,
1: I, I needed to move. I'm, I was so used to doing something <laughs> every single day. And like, now you're telling me I can't exercise At least, I mean, not in the way that I was used to exercising, and so I, um, my my orthopedist said, "Well, you can swim," and I'm like, "Okay, I'll swim then. I'm going to swim." And so I got to the gym. I got my swim cap. I got my goggles, and I I knew how to swim, but I didn't know how to swim a stroke. And so I get, you know, I'm sitting in the car, and I had that like complete breakdown pity party in my car. was just sobbing. Like, I can't do this. Like, I don't know how I'm going to make it through these 14 weeks. And what I had realized is that running, like, was the way that I dealt with emotion. It was the way that I dealt with so many things in my head, um, that I didn't know how to deal with any other way. And so now I felt like that was taking away, was taken away from me and I didn't know how to cope. I didn't know how to cope with the stress of being a mom. I didn't know how to, you know, deal with anything in life because running was my outlet. And so I sat there in my car. I, I remember this day. I remember the way my car was facing in the parking lot. It was so vivid in my in my brain. And I said, okay, that's it. You're done. You're you had your pity party. Now go get in the pool. And so I got in the pool and realized, wow, I'm really bad at swimming. Um I had a friend give me some some tips and some lessons, and then I went there every single day. I went there well six days a week, and I just figured it out. I'm like, I am determined to do this every single day until it becomes easier. And so I ended up going to master swim classes. I didn't belong with those people, but they pushed me, and they helped me become a better swimmer they became great friends. Like they were all triathletes and, and, you know, doing Ironman. And so they were, they were wonderful friends and helped me kind of through this. And so I got through it. I got through those 14 weeks. It felt like, you know, 14 years. Um, and, and then I, I just decided like, listen, like this time around, if I'm going to go back to doing this and training the way that I was training at a high level and high mileage, like I need a coach, that really knows what they're doing. And so I found my running coach and he has a very um, different style of, of coaching. It's, it's intense. It's, and that focuses strictly, uh, not strictly, but it has a large strength training component. So I strength train five days a week and I've gotten so much stronger And it's just, I mean, like some days I run 10-second sprints. I'm like, well, I'm a distance runner. Like, why am I running 10-second sprints? But it's all part of the plan and it all works. And so I trained my ass off from, from January 1st up until October to regain all the strength that I had lost. And went on to run, um, and this is also now 2020. So it's, you know, the pandemic and and everything else that was happening. I'm like, I I want to run a race, but I don't want to do a virtual race. Like that that doesn't motivate me. So I found a race, an in-person race in Utah, and so um, I went and ran the Antelope Island Marathon, which is on the Great Salt Lake. It's the largest island on the Great Salt Lake. There's like wild bison roaming, it's just beautiful. Uh, so it was great. I've never, I've never run out there before like that. So it was at elevation, um, but it was a great race. I ended up taking um, first place, female at that race, and it was just like redemption. I was all by myself because they didn't allow spectators. Um, but I just remember like sobbing uncontrollably, like at the finish line and, and calling my family who were in park city, um, and just telling them that I, I did it. There's a video I took of myself. Like just, I just didn't know what to do. So I took my, fa- my camera out and I started recording. I'm uh, like, I did it and I've, I've come back and I, I finally felt like myself again. Like I was, you know, I was, I could do all this again um, and then ran another Boston and, uh, had a great experience and, uh, it was just, just amazing, just amazing. Um, and I'm still, you know, continuing to train the same way with the same coach and it's been, it's been wonderful. Like he's, he's awesome. Um, so that's, now, that's is that my like
0: One-on-one that. type of coaching or is it like, you're, are you a part of a group or team or something or,
1: um, he, he. You know, it's it's one on one. He just kind of sends me plans and and, you know, it's very independent. I know what to do. I send him a training log at the end of the week. And then, you know, we meet up. I'm going to meet him this week um, to to do some more like testing to see kind of where I'm at. Um, So, yeah, it's he definitely knows what he's doing.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Hey guys, Dale here, and I wanted to take a quick break to invite you to join the launch of the Lions Guy Community called The Pride. You see, whether it was at work dealing with the demands of the day or maintaining the demands of my life at home, I always seemed to feel like my struggles were unique. Like somehow I was the only one struggling to find joy amidst all the weight that I felt I was carrying each day. And, you know, what I've come to realize is that we all have our struggles that we're up against and it's pretty demanding. The only way to rise to those demands is to decide and make the change to adopt a growth mindset, to be what I call a high performer. And that's why I started Lion's Guide. I want to help you break through to the next level of you and your ability to not only meet but exceed those demands on you and in doing so, find your joy again. If you're a growth-minded individual ready to make a change, then I'm here for you. And this is how you get started. I invite you to visit lionsguide.com and sign up to join the pride. The Pride is the Lions Guide community for growth-minded members like you. Once signed up, you'll get special access to all the free content and resources I'm putting out there. You'll also be invited to join my live online events where I host sessions on personal growth and high performance. You'll also be able to engage with other growth-minded members on our private online group. Also, if you enjoy the podcast as a member, you'll get access not only to all the podcasts, but also the podcasts that have been yet to be released. So get access to all this and more. So break out of that rut. Break into your next level and join me on lionsguide.com and let's grow together. Go to lionsguide.com and become a member of the pride today. Now back to the show. And you will appreciate this. Uh, you know. So there's a lady here locally, uh, Mary Margaret Goodwin, who um, she retired from the Pentagon. And when she was leaving out, uh, she told him, she says, I'm going to go. They were like, Mary Margaret, what are you going to do? Because she was in her 40s. you know. She was like, hey, yeah. Mary Margaret, what are you going to do with yourself? And She's like, oh, I'm going to be a professional runner. Um, this is back in the sixties or seventies. Um, and, and everyone's like, ha ha ha. Like just kind of like snickered at her. And man, she, she, and she went on to be sponsored by like Pepsi and did all these cool things. Like she swam like the English channel and, uh, she's got an awesome story about how, um, like they didn't want a woman swing, swim in the English channel. And she basically like, she was on one side and if I remember correctly, like, and i love this story like the like the local authorities were there trying to prevent her from getting like in the water or hold the boat back or whatever and she was just like we gave them the finger and like jumps yes. in and starts going and she gets the other side and i think they arrested her or something but it was awesome um she also uh ran the himalayas by herself with her dog um, and she had some folks like helping her that would set up, like drop her like gear, like her camp gear off. Like so long she like ran so many miles a day. Like she's, a, she's an amazing lady. But, uh, wow. when, when she, uh, when I first met her and, and told her I was running marathons and stuff at the time, she was a big, like, she's like, well, what do you do for uh, strength training? And I was like, oh, I'm running. What do I need to do? Strength training. For? <laughs> right, right. But uh, she was very much like, well, that's how you're gonna not hurt yourself. She's like that That it was like the necessity of doing strength work was preventative for injuries. Is that kind of like the philosophy of your coach as well? Or
1: absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you know, his his main training is he's a strength and conditioning coach and he does train um Olympic hopefuls. Um some pros. I mean, he, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's worked for me. I, it's funny I when I'm in the gym and I'm working and I get, I get looks and questions like, well, what are you training for? Like, who, are, who are you? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I'm a runner. And they look at me like, really? I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is, but, but I've noticed that, you know, with the strength training, like at the end of the race, like that's when I shine, like that's, when I can still keep going, it's, I mean, the endurance gets me there, but it's like the, the strength gets me, it keeps my, my posture correct. It keeps me upright. It it just does so many things. It keeps my glutes activated, you know, throughout a full race. Uh, so it's all really important things like building posterior chain. Like that's all super, super important. Um, and, you know, I've been doing a lot more trail racing. Like I've passed, you know, three people and gained three places on a, on hills, like just being able to power up hills. And so it's definitely been working in my favor for sure.
0: Now where you're training now, do you have much hills to train on?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's do. pretty hilly out here. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, cause that's always a tough part. Like, you know, you hit these races and and yeah, you know, they've got they've just got those hills, and they're they're the axe murderers of the course, right? <laughs> um,
1: you know. Yeah, I did a, a half about uh, four weeks ago, and it was just constant up and down, up and down, up and down, like big hills. The whole, you know, I call it the the black loop of death. That's the trail uh, about ten minutes from my house, but it's 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 a challenging one. But it was so fun, like just cruising up hills and cruising down and and uh it was just a, a fun race what
0: does it mean so we've talked a lot about just you know being a high performer being a being a woman and you highlighted some stuff that you had done you know as a woman leading different teams and other events and stuff where there weren't a lot tell us a little bit about you know some of that and you know what that means to you you know to 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 be a you know to be a high performer in, you know, in these runs or events or whatever the case may be.
1: Yeah. So, um, I think one of my greatest accomplishments was, um, last year I was, um, helped co-found a, a nonprofit, um, and we wanted to bring together high performers, um, CEOs, um, retired athletes, former Olympians, but we specifically focused on people that were maybe past their prime. We felt that those people had a lot of wisdom and knowledge to share with with others. And um, a lot of, you know, we also had a lot of military individuals in our in our group. Um, and so with that momentum that we were gaining and kind of building a bigger group, we decided to compete in Race Across America, which is a cycling event Um so, cycling was new to me, but I got uh, picked to be the crew chief and uh, was in charge of our team of eight cyclists, uh, both male and female. Um, so, you hadn't cycled before? But then you're the Um, no. I had not cycled before, but once again, I was in charge of the eight cyclists, uh, and I was part of the support crew. So that was another interesting thing: was being on the support side. You know, normally I was so used to being the athlete, Um, and so this time I was like role reverse, supporting my my crewmates, and um, I had to basically like I was tasked with figuring out how to get. Our crew, our support crew, and these eight riders across the country, all 3,070 miles from Oceanside, California to Annapolis, Maryland, um, for this race. It was a designated race. We were competing against other teams and how to do it safely and as fast as possible. So we had a tour bus that slept uh, uh, 12, and then we had three other vehicles. And so it was like a game of chess, of trying to figure out how to get, you know, how to get everyone continually to move forward throughout this process. Um, It was, it was, it was so hard. (laughs) It was great. I mean, our team was amazing. We had a mixed group of, of civilians and military, both, um, active duty and retired. Uh, We had some uh, retired uh, um, NFL football player. We had a Paralympic hopeful. We had a retired master chief of the Navy SEALs on our team. We had a former um, gold medal Olympian. We had like this mixed bag of, of individuals. And we all came together. We had met, half of us had met at a training camp in February. And then the next time we all met collectively as a team, was a few days before the race which was when was in june of 2021
0: so did you guys have like a agreed upon training curriculum between
1: yeah i mean we kind of left it up to everyone to do the work and i think all of these people are such um type a and, and high level performers that no one wanted to be the weakest link sure yeah Um, And we already knew like our, we had a female um, Canadian pro cyclist on the team. She was kind of set the benchmark and, and a lot of the guys didn't want to be shown up by her. So I think they trained a little harder. Um, but she's amazing. Like she's, she's tiny and she can just bring it every single time she gets on the bike. Um, so it was, it was so fun. We all Like, it was amazing the way the unity that we created and the chemistry uh, just immediately. Like, you put all of these people in such a high-stress environment. And we we were going 24-7 across the country. There were things going wrong. Like, our bus, our tour bus broke down three times. There was no complaining. Everyone just knew what to do. It was like, okay, the bus broke down. The new bus is coming. Unpack, unload keep going. It was like mission number one. And that was to help veterans, um, and mental, and especially in the mental health, um, arena. So we just, we had mission focus. We all wore dog takes for someone that we were remembering that got nominated by someone on our team. Um, because we had so many military members, we were not going to let anyone down. Uh, so, you know, It was intimidating at times being a woman and leading this this team of such high level individuals. I mean, you know, there was a master chief of the Navy SEALs retired like on my team and in my vehicle most days. And never once was I made to feel less than anyone. Um, They knew that I was in charge and I was taking as an opportunity to use those people as my mentors And they were so great at it. Like, you know, if I had a question, if I needed to bounce something against them, they had my support. If I had to make a call about something, I did it. And that was the end of the story. There was no, like, arguing or or that was it. Um, Our Paralympic hopeful, who was um, also the only active duty above the elbow amputee in the Army, uh, Michael Smith, um, was harassed on his bike. He's, you know, he's African-American. He was literally like almost like hit by a car by someone telling him, you don't belong in our town. And it was, yeah, it happened twice in 24 hours in two different towns. So I had to make the decision like, Michael, this isn't really safe for you. I don't need something to happen to you. I don't need you to get hit by a car by people that are ignorant. So, you know, we had, we made the choice to like keep him, you know, he didn't get to ride for a while until we could get out of some of these small towns. And, and that's what we had to do. I mean, you know, it was, it was unbelievable that these things can still happen um, today. And by someone who's such a hero, you know, they don't know him. They don't know what he's been through and that he's riding his bike across the country with one arm. I mean, it's, it was insane. So, with all that being said, like you know that that was just such an amazing thing. That like looking back, I always thought like, how am I doing this? Like it, but you just do it. And I had such respect um, for my from my team. They're all still friends. They're all like family to me. I mean, I can call any of them right now on the phone, and we would have an hour long conversation. Like they are the best. People in the world. I, I mean, I say they're all superhumans, and I mean that from my heart. Um, you know, and then from there, I got invited. You know, from some of the seals on our team to do the the Navy SEAL swim across the Hudson River in in August. And it was a swim from from New Jersey to to New York. It was a three mile swim, and along the way, you would swim to barges where you would do the uh, twenty two pull ups and 100 push ups. And it was all in honor of um, extortion 17. And to remember 911 as well. well how, so it was how, the many, the how many
0: times did you have to stop at these barges?
1: Uh, there were there were, well, we did it at the start, then we did it, there's two barges. And then we did it again at the finish.
0: So, and, and you all had to do that many yes. pull ups and push ups. So yes. 20 pull ups, 100 push. push-ups, 22
1: pull-ups. Yeah. 100 yeah. push ups jump back in the water, swim another mile, swim to the next barge, do it again.
0: Uh, um, yeah, sorry. So go back. and What was that benefit <laughs> for? And then we'll get back to that. Because <laughs> that's a dagger, man. Like, holy
1: crap, oh, you know. I mean, it was, it, it, you know, honestly, like, no one's counting. But still, you want to do it to the best of your ability. And uh, I was one of six women that were there. So a little intimidating, but honestly, like everyone was amazing. Like we started off doing a, a flag run. Then there was pair jumpers that came and like parachuted out of the sky. And then we all went and, and jumped into the, like literally climbed over the railing and jumped about 15 feet down into the water and just started swimming. <laughs> and I like, remember having this moment as I'm in the water and I look up and like, I'm literally at the feet of the statue of Liberty. And I'm like, this moment is surreal. Like I'm I'm right here. And there's like, there's no one on the planet that has this perspective that I do, like right now, at this moment. So, and then kept kept swimming. Um, I did get a little hypothermic about halfway through. Because this uh, is what
0: time of year it, that you're doing that.
1: It was August, but we, we we're in the water for a long time, <laughs> and no one wore wetsuits. So I, and I'm a petite female, like I don't have a lot of body fat on me. So, um, I, I took a little break in an ambulance <laughs> to, to warm back up, but I'm like, you know what? I'm going to finish this thing. I don't care. Like I went back out and finished the flag run. And then we, there was a, like a memorial at the end where we did more of the pushups and pullups and then, um, and then just had some very amazing words by, uh, it was organized by the GI go organization and uh, we all placed a flag at the 9/11 memorial. It was just so touching It's so well done, and and such a, a moving moment. And, um, you know, I can just sympathize, and and I feel like I, I I can relate. Yet I can't relate, but to a lot of the struggles that veterans go through with this, um, having these these. Mental health issues and not knowing how to cope with everything. I mean, everything that I've seen in my life and not knowing how to deal with it. I can, I can relate to to those feelings and also the 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 loss of identity. Like, you know, you go off to war or you go overseas and and you are this person. And you're in charge of this platoon or you're in charge of these people and and you have a very important job. And then you come back and you're trying to adjust adjust as a civilian and no one knows what you've seen and no one knows what you've been through and no one knows the horrors that you've seen and the heartache. And they just want you to be, you know, you're, you're you know, just the, the neighbor down the street or you're just the guy that works in the cubicle next to you. They have no idea. And so, you know, I will forever have a special place in my heart for veterans and for veteran mental health. I mean there was someone on our on my race across America team who lost his brother He, he took his own life after being in the service. Um, another woman was a, a gold star wife she, you know her husband died in extortion 17 um, and now she's raising her son you know without his dad. I, I mean those people, are are the people that inspire me like to keep going and that they're they're still struggling and so i will i will forever support those organizations anything i can do for for veteran mental health is 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 so important to me
0: yeah i love that they, I, um i don't know if we talked about it yet or maybe we have about uh 22 zero like i've been volunteering with them uh dan jarvis oh, yeah. was on uh, two podcast episodes before, but, uh, you have to check that out in, in I offline. I'll have to talk to you more about what we're doing, but it's, it's, we're, we're healing PTS and it's amazing. You'll have to listen to the podcast. I, I won't bore everyone else with this whole thing right now. Cause if they uh, avid listener, they've, they've just heard this whole thing for an hour and a half, uh, two weeks ago, but, uh, man, it's amazing. But, but you're right. Like, you know, we don't get it. Um, but there's a lot of people just suffering in silence, um, yep. you know, very much alone in their own mind, uh, very much not trying to show it, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, and be, uh, you know, strong, resilient veteran. Um, and it's not just the veterans, it's first responders. Like uh, to your point yes. earlier about your role in the medical com- community, like first responders, are, you know, in the hospitals, paramedics, you know, police officers, so on. The list goes on. Yep. are exposed to traumas not on a de- not only on a deployment you know 6 months to a year but for 20 years like their career is you know ongoing exposures to trauma and so um and and it's unfortunate uh that not enough people understand what you say not only about veterans but also the first responder community and really what you know, how it affects them, um, and, in the, and the various stigmas that are even in the communities about, oh, well, if you can't hack this job type of thing, but it's not that like, you know, these are, um, really serious events that affect us, you know, that, that get tangled up in our, you know, sympathetic systems, you know, and, and, and there's, there you go, there's PTS and, and, uh, you know, so there's a lot of work to be done there. And and I, yeah, I am thankful, however, that, it seems like we're starting to shed the right light on these things, you know, than maybe yeah. has ever been in the past. Um, so, you know, a lot, lot more work to do, but um
1: and I've been fascinated with um, a lot of the the newer treatments that are are coming out uh, to help with the PTS, whether that's like EMDR or, you know, these uh, ketamine infusions, whether it's, uh, I mean, I've I've heard of, I'm hearing more and more and more every day. And it's just fascinating to me um, that it's not just talking to a therapist about your problems anymore. And there's has to be more, more to treatment than, than just that. And so, so yeah, I'm always, always looking yeah. and always see what's available.
0: Yeah. I'm up to doing like two, two to four vets and first responders and civilians a week now with twenty two zero. And I'll tell you, uh, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I worked with a Gulf war vet who was just like, had been suffering for 30 years. And at the end of two hours, he was just like blown away, like where he was and he didn't even need to talk about it. And that's that's why I fell in love with the 22 process because they don't need mm-hmm. to, they don't need to talk about their traumas and that, cause that's, you know, uh, exposure therapies, you know, the, in the book, uh, the body keeps score all about trauma. I, I picked that up and mm-hmm. learned a lot. I don't, have you read that book? The body keeps score. Mm-hmm. Um, no, really, not, yeah, I'll really insightful book idea. about trauma and how prevalent childhood trauma is and how not only with that known, you know, uh, how much trauma is out there anyways. Um, you know, I, yeah, I mean, exposure therapy, you know, some of these therapies, uh, and look, this, anyone listen, this is just me talking, I'm not a doctor, I'm just citing a book yeah. for a minute, but it was talking about, um, uh, you know, really those therapies, exposure therapies only have a really 15% success rate, you know, in, um, in me in really exposure therapy was originally for like phobias, right? Exposed, you're scared of fib- spiders. Well, let's, let's expose you to f- spiders, yes. but, um, exposure therapy for PTS. If you think about it, like you're exposing them to the trauma over and over and over again, like asking them to relive it, retell it. And the thought is, uh, well, the more you relive it and retell it, you'll just get numb to it. But if it's If it's, if it's stuck in your amygdala and that sympathetic system, it's there, it it needs to be cleared from that. Um, so the zero process, they don't need to talk about it. We go through a process that helps clear it from the sympathetic system and just like that, they can sleep better. It's amazing. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. So, uh, you'll have to check out that podcast. We, we go on it for, we, we go about it for, for an hour or so on it, but yeah, well, I, I appreciate you doing that. And I appreciate you talking about it because it's it's it is important. It is you know we we do need to recognize that not only the veterans but like you said the veteran spouses and families who you know again it's a it's a tough experience to have your loved one deployed you know or or in the service in a, a you know a volatile time let's say where you don't know what could happen right. It's it's just a it's yeah. it's a tough life to live and and I get it like. We we want to serve as veterans and all that stuff, but, you know, it's not easy, you know, to, to mm-hmm. live at the, the mercy of the government and the politics and, you know, whatever the world's throwing at us, so to speak. So, right. Right. But anyways, cool. back to being a high performance lady. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, but uh, yeah, so what about, so what's your, you know, I want to go back real quick to the team coming across America. How long did it take you guys to get across?
1: Six and a half days. Wow.
0: So you talked a lot about like the fact that these guys were high performers, but what was it about them and working together that was that made for their success, right? Like what was it about the the team that allowed you guys to be successful? Like it didn't, it, and, you know, cause I'm not hearing that there was a lot of ego involved. I feel, I feel like
1: there was no ego involved. And I think that was the success of the team. Like ego checked at the door and, you know, mission focused. Um, I had the way that I had divided the teams was into like a day shift and a night shift. And so I do feel like there was, you know, we we both did things differently because it was like this is what we need to do to get through our twelve hour shift, and I was I was on the day shift. And one thing that I loved that our group did every single day at the end of the day would we you know shower and we you know we we had amazing people that cooked you know had food ready for us, and then we would sit down and just have like a gratitude discussion, like who did something today that that made you happy that helped you. And people just went out of their way to do nice things for each other. Like, you know, you didn't have to fill up my water bottle, but you did it anyway. No one even asked you to do that. That's amazing. Like, it was just one small thing, but it made my day a little bit easier. And so every day, like, we we would do that. And I think that made the experience so much more enjoyable. And then also at the end, before everyone like departed their separate ways, we all took a piece of paper, we wrote our names on it, and we passed it around, and people just wrote like one sentence about you on it. Like one, one thing that they that they thought about you or that they admired about you, and I still have my paper today. I keep it right in my bathroom, so I look at it every day but it's just like it was just such a nice like wonderful thing to do to remind yourself on those days that maybe you're not feeling so great about yourself or that maybe you made a mistake or you you could have handled a situation better you look back at that sheet and know that there's a whole team around you people that see your true self and they see the true value they see who you are at your core and to never forget that
0: yeah Yeah, that's awesome. That's really awesome. And that's what I was hearing. I just wanted to kind of for the rest of the class to hear, right? Like it's so important to check the ego, man, and just, you know, seek that win-win like with humility, you know what I mean? Like, and and that's, that's it right there, right? You got a team event where you, you have, in order to be successful as a team, you have to check the ego and, and go for the win-win and how can you help each other? And Yeah. I love it.
1: I mean, we had, I mean, if you wrote it down on paper, like we should have failed. Like you have all of these alpha males, all these high performer females, like there should have been, you know, cat fights and, you know, big chest out, like puffing, you know, it should have, it should have never worked. And it was the complete opposite. And I don't think that situation could ever be recreated again. I just think it was like this magical team that all of these, there was a reason that all of these people were brought together to, to accomplish the mission. And it's, it was just amazing. It really was. Well, you know, but to be honest with you, kind
0: of like the way you described the folks that were on the team I don't know if it's been your experience, but it seems like once you hit certain pinnacles of success, you you realize what we just talked about, like the importance of shedding the ego, you know, and and approaching these things with humility. So kind of like the team you describe, right, you know, CEOs, you know, Olympians, you know, Paralympians, like, you know, former NFL players, right, like really like top performers and i think like to really even hit that top performance mind or level you've, you've had to learn that lesson right like and, and maybe that was just played out you know um, yeah right? you know what i mean like
1: um, but, yeah no I, I i totally agree
0: yeah yeah, yeah i think it, it's it's really awesome the um sounds like a great experience in both of those and man hats off to you for one you know leading the charge in that but two man i'm still I'm still a bit blown away. Three mile swim with like all those pull-ups and (laughs) it sounds awesome, but man, like, you know, holy crap. That's a, that's a lot. That is a lot.
1: Well, they're doing it again this year. So (laughs) I have not committed yet, but we'll, we'll see what happens. When you finish that one?
0: Was it like, where you're like, I'm never doing that again or,
1: or. Um, yeah, I I don't think I've (laughs) swam since.
0: (laughs) It's, it's, um, it's funny doing those things, right? Cause it's like you said about the marathon, uh, I do it every year with the four by four by 48, um, which yeah. is like, you finish it and you're like, I'm never doing that again, you know? And then a couple of days go by, you heal up and you're like, yeah, th- th- I think I could do it. You know, like you, you, you get a certain distance from the pain where you forget about, forget the pain. and
1: that That's why I have three children. <laughs> like- <laughs> I, I, have forgotten the pain a couple of times.
0: Yeah, there you go. Um, so how, so what's your routine like, you know, what's, you know, what are the things that contribute most to your success in this area? Um, you know, what's your daily routine to kind of maintain, right? You're still, you're still a mother of three, you know, still doing all these things. Like, so what's, what's that look like for you?
1: Um, I am definitely an early riser. I've always been that way. I like my my wake up early peace time, um, where it's quiet. I, I don't like being thrown into chaos right away. I need to like, you know, I need my body to wake up. I need my mind to wake up. And so I always start the day with some kind of, um, devotion, um, some kind of like, um, something inspirational, uh, that I'll just listen to while I'm, I'm cleaning the kitchen while I'm kind of multitasking, but it's always like something that I will like, this is what I need to focus on today. Uh, i like to, you know, I I don't, I won't even look at my phone. I don't want to even see anything. I need to, to, like I said, wake my mind up a little bit first. And then I get my kids up, get them off to school, which is always kind of this like chaotic hour. And then, um, it's time for my training. So I do my running, I do my lifting. Um, I catch up, I come home and I'm catching up on emails and, and getting things, um, Squared away with scheduling for my kids. And and then it's like chaos starts again once they get home um, from school. And um, it's kind of that on repeat every day that, you know, then we're going to activities. You know, I do count on that that time in the day where I'm by myself. They're all in school to to focus on me. Um, that's that's my time to invest back into myself and into my training. Um, so when I don't get that time, if they're off of school, I have to get creative uh, so maybe that means waking up a little bit earlier before they wake up. Maybe that means, you know, it's a it's a treadmill workout, even though I try to to not run on the treadmill as much as I can. Um, but it's, you know, and, and my my kids understand, like, this is this is what mom does. It's just become such a habit around here that that mom mom needs to get her exercise. And, and it's the same with my husband, too. He you know lives a, a pretty active life as well. But they see that um in in both of us. And I, I realized it one time when I was it was a, a morning and my kids were home from school and I was I was just tired. Like I was just kind of complaining. I'm like, oh, I don't want to run today. Like I just said it like that, kind of under my breath. And my six-year-old daughter, she's like, Mom, if you don't run, you're not gonna win races. And I said, You're right if I don't run, I don't win races. So I guess I'm running now. (laughs) So I, you know, I always keep in the back of my mind that they're, they're watching, that they, they're watching what you do. They're watching your habits. They see you. And so you are the example every single day. So you have to, to be cognizant of that and, and try to be the best example you can to them. Um, so yeah, so it's, it, you know, like I said, kids come home from school, it's chaos again, and we're running around and we're going to activities. My kids are in the winter, they do ski racing. Um, in the summer we're, we're doing tennis, we're doing lake activities, um, and water activities. And then it's, you know, it's kind of crash at the end of the day and, and then we're on repeat.
0: The, uh, what, uh, so what would you say to, you know, the women out there who, want to do more, but they just kind of still want to be successful as a, as a mother and wife, like what's, what's kind of your lessons learned type of advice to them about, you know, still being a high performer or still taking care of yourself while still being a successful mother and wife?
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, I made the decision that I needed to invest in myself and I know a lot of moms out there, because I have felt this way, is that, you know, they need to take care of, take care of the kids, take care of the pets, take care of the husband, take care of the laundry. And all the excuses add up and add up. And then before, you know, your before the day is done, there's nothing left for for them, for themselves. And so I made the conscious decision that I'm going to invest in myself and in my health, and that will benefit not only myself, but it'll benefit my family in the long run because I'm doing something that will make, improve my health in the long run. It'll, and, and I'm also teaching, like I said just earlier, like I'm teaching my children good habits of what it means to work hard at something every single day. And when you work hard, you see results when they come, you know, when I come, they come to one of my races and if I win, they're like, mom got a medal, but they saw mom working really hard, for months leading up to that. And so, you know, I think for other moms out there, there's always a way to do it. And you just can't let your excuses get in the way, whether that means you're waking up earlier than everyone else, whether that means You know, you're, you're doing weightlifting exercises, holding your baby. I've been there, (laughs) you know, you're holding them while you're doing your squats. You're, you know, you're doing a plank and you're looking straight down at them. Like you can (laughs) find a way to do it. You know, you have the mom jogger out there. You have, there's different ways to do it. And there's going to be different seasons in your life. Your kids are going to continually change. Their needs are going to change. You have to continue to uh, uh, adapt your training programs. For when they're in school, when they're on summer vacation, when you know, when you are on vacation, I'm one of those people that that exercises while I'm on vacation. I think it's fun. <laughs> Most people probably think otherwise, but I like exploring new places, going for a run in a new city. It's exciting to me. It kind of mixes up my training a little bit. But you have to keep keep in reinventing yourself. You need to keep re or figuring out ways that you can invest in yourself every single day because you will be a happier person mentally. You'll be a happier person physically. You need to be a strong person so you can be strong for your family.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, no, I mean, being a mother and wife, it's a, it's a, it's the role of a high performer. So, you know, just Mm -hmm. like, you know, just like that entrepreneur, just like that CEO, you know, just like that, that athlete right you 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 still got to put in the work to be able to you know be at the level you need to be at you know and so how do you for example i I, because i know one of the things that's going to be said to to counter like i just don't have the energy how can i do that and do all this like so how do you recharge you know or what's what are the important facets of your routine let's say that like keep the energy up or 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 how do you recover
1: Um, well, one thing my husband will say is that I am the most disciplined person he's ever met. Like I, I am very disciplined when it comes to doing exercise. I'm very disciplined when it comes to diet. I just, I just am like, I know what works for me. And so I continually do that every single day. It's not the same workout every day, or it's not the same routine, but it's something. And so, um, I know how my body feels and reacts to that. Um, But to relax, I mean, spending time with my kids is my recharge. Um, Mm -hmm. We travel and travel is one of those ways, too, where I can kind of reset mentally. Um, Being outside is is my number one reset, like being in nature, being in, you know, we live by a lot of lakes, like going to a lake, doing something outside for sure just kind of resets everything for me. And then I feel recharged and ready to go. Um, One thing I do need to continue to work on is sleep. Like, I think I've been forever, like, ruined since working crazy hours in the hospital, working night shifts, and then having, you know, small children and not sleeping through the night there. Like, I've never um, developed really healthy sleep patterns. So that is something that I continually work on daily. So you're (laughs) saying, like,
0: you don't get good sleep through the night now type of thing?
1: Um, I just... I don't get a lot of sleep. Mm. I don't get enough sleep. Mm. You know, I'm like a five to six hours a night kind of person. Mm. Um, Not ideal.
0: Yeah. Well, our our mutual friend, Jeff, will tell you, he he always says, he says it and like sleep is his number one, like as far as his priority list. And he'll tell you like sleep is God's medicine. Like he'll tell you real quick, like you got to be getting sleep.
1: No, I know. And, I, and I've listened to other podcasts about the importance of sleep. And it, it, it was like scary. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll sleep more. I'll sleep more. <laughs> and then it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, so yeah. But you know, definitely eating right is, is great for recovery, um, eating healthy foods. Um, I love getting a good massage every once in a while. I wish it would happen more often. <laughs> um, but just making yourself a priority.
0: Yeah, no. And that's it, right? Because you made a good point earlier about just, you know, as a mom, you want to take care of everyone else first and, you know, and, it, but you don't want to be in that habit of leaving no runway left for yourself, you know, or, or having that time for yourself accounted for, which you're hundred yeah. um, percent. So what are you, what's exciting that you're working on now?
1: Well, I've made uh, the decision as of very recently that I want to to give back, um, to my, my running community. And I decided to pursue a, a running coach certification and just launched a front runner coaching. So that's super exciting for me. Cause you know, speaking of these women that are looking for ways to, um, find time for themselves and to invest in themselves. And I want to be there with them to help them find ways that they can achieve these goals. I want them to be a front runner in life, uh, in their household, in all that they do. And so it's not just going to be a running platform, but also, you know, we're going to be talking a lot about mindset and, and, you know, nutrition, because it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle change. And, you know, you need to do this for your family. And it's important. It's important for, for everyone. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited for this. Like, I just feel like this is my calling. I've, I've achieved, you know, so much already. And now it's time to give back to, to others so that they can achieve their goals as well.
0: Yeah, I love it. And and congrats on, on that. I mean, and, and, yes. you know, and you're, you'll be there to, to be the example, right? Like kind of like that no excuse mm-hmm. example of, Hey, yeah, I hear you. I got, I got three kids too. And, you know, yeah. and I'm still, you know, so I love it, you know, cause you know, they're, they're not going to believe the message if they don't believe the messenger, so to speak, you know? So, you know,
1: Absolutely.
0: yeah. So, and I'm not, awesome.
1: right, you know, and, and, uh, you know, it's not, it's not going to be tailored so that everyone can go out and run Boston marathons every single time. It's, you know, it's so that you can go run your first 5k. That's amazing. You know, you can go from, from, from the couch to the 5k. Um, And then from there we'll we'll continue to move on, but it's about goal setting and it's about overcoming your fears, whatever that may be. Um, It's about having a positive body image. Um, You know, that's something that I've struggled with for, for a long time. You know, I was, you know, I always thought I was too skinny or then I got to be too muscular. Or I got to this, to that. There's so much of that out there. And I wish that women could get past it and just embrace what their body looks like for what it is. And we've been through battles. Like having children is so hard on your body. My body is forever changed from that, but it is what it is. And I will embrace it. You know, I will embrace my my legs for the way that they are. Like I wanted skinny you know toothpick legs when i was you know in my 20s and now i'm like i couldn't do what i do without the strong muscular legs that i have and i'm just going to own that one and so i want women to have a positive body image i want them to choose strong every day i want them to feel confident in who they are and see their beauty both inside and outside and i want them to be leaders you know and just and just be be a leader and feel like they could be a strong confident female And just own that
0: so that all said i guess a quick message to the you know the husband or other male partners out there to these women like what would you say to them to you know be the right support partner and on that journey for a woman
1: yeah you know this is something that I think my husband has had to adjust to, um, as this, you know, kind of my own evolution has happened over the past couple of years. You know, I went from, you know, being, you know, this kind of mom of, of these babies that didn't know what end was up. And I'm just trying to get through the day to now I'm this, you know, very strong, confident female. And he's like, Whoa, wait a second. Like, <laughs> I have to adjust my expectations here a little bit. And so I think what we have um, discussed and come to realize is that, you know, just supporting me and what I'm doing and having open lines of communication, communication is so important. I couldn't say enough about it. Like, and just, you know, like, like last year, for example, when I'm doing all of these crazy events and I'm like, just, just know, just support me this year. (laughs) Like, this is going to sound crazy insane, but just please like support me in what I'm doing because I have, you know, I've sacrificed a lot for our family over the past couple of years. And now this is my, my time to shine and my year. So please. And he was full for it. He brought his kids out to California when we were leaving for the race, for the bike race, you know, he came out to New York and he was just there. And that's all I needed was him to be there. I didn't need coaching. I didn't need anything. I'm like, I got this. I just need your support. So that was, that was the big thing.
0: Yeah. It's a partnership. Like you got to remember, it's a partnership. Like nobody's working for nobody. It's a partnership, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Like we've got, yeah, that's it. We've got our gives and takes, you know, you've got the things that, that, that the wives do better than the husbands and, or how we contribute respectively to the partnership, right? And that's yeah. it. I always talk a lot about that. I'm just not a fan of like some of these relationships you see where like someone's in charge in the wrong kind of way, you know, like, uh, um, like someone it,
1: wears the pants in the family. Uh,
0: yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. So the things you hit on, right? I, I believe and have lived to experience as well. Like it's all about the communication and, and being a, a being in partnership, you know, for again, back to the win-win, right? It's, it's not all about him, you know, and, and vice versa. Like it's, um, it's a partnership and it's a family and it's, it's, it's a, it's a you bigger know, goal than just individual goals.
1: I think it's really interesting when, um, you know, we'll be meeting people like for the first time and maybe it's just an, another man and like, I don't even You know, I get a name introduction and they'll ask, well, my husband, like, well, what do you do for a living? And then no one asks me what I do. And, you know, in a way I'm like, okay, well, maybe you don't want to know, but maybe, you know, I just, it's offensive, but it's also laughable at the same time. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm more, you know, and that's getting back to the whole stay at mom thing. Like I'm so much more than just a stay at home mom. And that job is so hard. Like you have no idea, but I'm more than that. Yeah. You know, FYI.
0: Well, yeah, you can be a, you know, be a high performer in, in that high demanding role, you know, whether it's a mom or there's other things we talked about or, and you can still do hard things like, you know, just like those other folks in those other roles, you, there's, you know, there's still room to, work on yourself, man. So I love it. I mean, I think it's great. And, you know, all the success in the world to you in your new venture, how can people find you and connect with you and all that good stuff?
1: Uh, yeah, I am on Instagram at Chris.Bachman. And then also, you can find my, my new website at FrontrunnerCoaching.com.
0: Awesome. Well, hey, it's been an honor to have you on, Chris, and I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. And I'm sure it'll serve some folks out there. And uh, thanks for coming on.
1: Great. Great. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Indeed. Thank you.